Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We're continuing our series in the Apostles' Creed, and last week we looked at this phrase that said, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And we talked about a hard truth, about the hard truth of death and how the scripture teaches that death is not the end, there's resurrection. And tonight we're going to look at another hard truth. We're just kicking off our series here in a new building by looking at some some tough things. Um, It's helpful to realize that the Apostles' Creed has teeth to it. In other words, it's not just a flimsy saying, it has deep truth that if you accept great hope and great confidence. So I want to ask you even now, uh, just to say this with me, you can stay seated, but this is the second part of the Apostles' Creed. If you could just say this with me, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And it's that last phrase, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead that we're going to look at tonight. Rather than just picking one piece of scripture, I want to read you just a bunch of scripture and just kind of let it watch over you and and challenge you and maybe even provoke you a little bit. And then we'll, we'll spend some time unpacking that phrase, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So I'll read the scripture to you, starting with John 5. Jesus says, the father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. Acts 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof to this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Matthew 24, this is why you are are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. Back to Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Romans 2, Paul writes, they show that the work of law, of the law, is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians says, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. And on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. And then our last scripture, the very last two verses of the Bible say, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. It's the word of God. Well, um, most restaurant owners want to be known for good food and good customer service. Sam Katakura had a reputation for great sushi and judging customers. Sam was the self-proclaimed sushi Nazi of downtown Nashville. And Sam was an interesting guy. He, he was very mysterious. And this is the only picture I could find of him on the internet. And you can't even really see him because he's sort of shrouded in darkness. But Sam was a large Japanese man who had been traveling the world. And though he didn't like much, he liked Nashville. And as he was traveling through Nashville, he decided to stop there and open up a sushi shop. And while Sam made great sushi, he made it known that he didn't like you and he didn't care if he had your business. In fact, when you walk in, you felt immediately stepping to the front door that you were being judged by Sam. And you were, you were being judged by Sam. You knew this because of the signs that Sam had around his sushi bar. Uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that on coming in, it says only regulars. So if you're new to the sushi bar, he doesn't want you to come in. This is a sign that he literally had on the front door. And it says, this is slow food place, not fast food place. There was a sign inside that said the sushi can take anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes for you. So he didn't care if he made you wait. Uh, Sam did make great sushi though. And he had this incredible lunch special, which is why so many people wanted to go. But there was something interesting about even the lunch special sign that he had. Uh, the lunch sushi special was two choice of rolls and either three pieces of Nigiri or one roll, but he had slashed the price up. Now, now, most people want you to know that they're cutting prices down. Sam did not care. All the signs in the sushi bar show that he was slashing prices up. And so walking into Sam's sushi was quite an experience. You felt confused. You felt judged. And then you got into line. 
and you notice that there was a decent amount of order in the line. You were to go and get in line quietly. You were to get this form of what you wanted specifically on the lunch special. And if you messed up the form, trouble. Now, the form was confusing. You were only supposed to get check here and here, but you couldn't check two in this section or three in this section. And, and, and you would get that form and you would put it on the counter and you wouldn't leave a $5 bill because Sam had a sign in there that said no tipping, absolutely no tipping. And so you would have to leave four ones and three quarters along with your form and then back away slowly and just hope everything went well and that you didn't do something wrong to elicit more of Sam's judgment. I don't know what it is about the way I looked, but Sam did not like me. In fact, I would go in there and several times this would happen to me. I would put my slip of paper on the counter and then I would put my four ones and my three quarters and he would get to my form and he would kind of look up at me like this and then he would sigh deeply. And I was like, I have no idea what I did wrong. But then the most intimidating thing that Sam would do is he would raise his sushi knife and he'd point it across the counter at you and he'd say, have you ever been here before? Which is his way of saying, you messed up. I know you're not a regular. Now, now how many, it didn't matter how many times I went there, for some reason, he did not like the way I looked. And this knife pointing, this judgment of me happened almost every time. And it was so funny when other people realized that that was happening, like when they realized I'd crossed over the line, they would sort of back away from me turn their back towards me. It almost felt like the whole place was going dark and there was a spotlight on me as Sam pronounced his judgment. Um, Sam actually closed his sushi shop in downtown Nashville in 2014. I think he left a sign on the front door. If you can put that up, you see, even if he left, he wanted you to know that he was judging you. Goodbye, no more sushi for you, Sam. And it has the date of his closure. It was funny, I, you know, I think he played it up a little bit. I think he realized that people liked sort of this uh, guy who would belittle you or berate you. Uh, they liked, in a sense, being judged by Sam. It was, always, it was always like an adrenaline rush when you walked in there for that sushi deal. You never quite knew what was happening. Well, although customers liked or at least tolerated Sam's judgment, I think we as human beings really struggle with the general idea of judgment. We struggle with the idea of judging. In our culture, it's a big struggle because two things are simultaneously happening when we talk about judgment. First of all, to judge somebody else is seen as the worst sin ever. Don't judge me. And yet at the same time, we reserve the right to judge anyone else that we want which is one of the reasons our culture is so polarized right now. Everyone is judging everyone else and no one wants anyone else to judge them. But then not only culturally, but I think psychologically, we struggle with the idea of judgment because we're very aware when someone else is judging me, but we're almost blind to the fact when we're judging others. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, that, that blindness, but like we can look at someone else and go, what they're doing is harmful to society. 
and yet miss any ways that we might do, be doing something that does the same thing. Look at someone else and see that they're apathetic about injustice and, and yet never recognize the places of our own apathy. Even this, when you say, I hate people who are judgmental, you see that the way you've caught yourself right there, like you're judging the people who judge. It's, it's sort of like we're just so blind to the judgment in our own hearts. We're, we're very inconsistent when it comes to judging. We're very lenient with ourselves and, and very harsh when it comes to other people. I, I remember I was in driving school uh, maybe 15 years ago. I had gotten a ticket and I went to driving school so I wouldn't get any points and it was like an all-day class. No one wanted to be there. And the driving instructor said, all right, out of you 30 people who have gotten a ticket are in, are in driving school, how many of you would say you're in like the top half of safe drivers in the And everyone raised their hand. And I was like, wait a minute, everybody, read the room. Like, we're the ones who are in traffic school. We're the ones who are learning how to drive. We're not judging ourselves Rightly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and theologian, said, nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. So, so often we see things in other people that we judge, not realizing that those very same things are present in our own lives. Francis Schaeffer put it this way. He said, all we really need, we don't even really need to look at the Ten Commandments. All we really need is, is, a, is a tape recorder taped around our neck and listen to the judgments that, we, that come out of our mouth all day, every day, and then play that back and see if we actually live up to our own judgments. We don't. We're, we're very psychologically unaware like to be judged, but we do like to judge either, unless, unless we're Angela from The Office. Do you remember Angela from The Office? She says, I actually look forward to performance reviews. I really enjoy being judged. I believe I hold up very well to even severe scrutiny. We struggle to see ourselves rightly. We struggle to th see God rightly when it comes to judgment. We, we kind of talk out of both sides of our mouth. Tupac Shakur said this, only God can judge me. Like, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. And at the same time, I have dozens of conversations. I just had another conversation with someone last week who said, I, I just don't think God would ever judge us. He loves us too much. So which is it? Only God can judge me and he will judge or God won't judge anyone because he loves us too much. Our culture looks at this idea of God being a judge and they say, that's regressive. Uh, that, that can't be the way it is. And then we talk about a final judgment, like a judgment where people go to eternity with God forever or eternity and are separated from God forever. And, and we look at that culturally and go, that can't be it. And that's harmful. Like that's psychologically harmful. But, but the question isn't first, is it psychologically harmful? The, the question is, is it true? Is it true? It's a truth that as Christians, we're not sure what to do with. I was in my pool this morning and my neighbor came over to say hi. And like out of nowhere, he asked me, he goes, what are you teaching on tonight? I was like, uh, Jesus. Like, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to say it because it just sounds so harsh to say I'm teaching on judgment. 
I'm teaching on judgment. But Christianity does teach about judgment. The Apostles' Creed says this, from there, Jesus will come to judge both the living and the dead. Now, my hope here as we talk a little bit about what these texts have said and about that statement is that if you're a Christian, it will become more clear what this means. And if you're not yet a Christian, you'll understand actually that judgment in a sense is good news. Judgment in a sense is good news. So we're just gonna break this down real simply. Who, what, when, where, why? First of all, who? Who is the judge? Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one who will come to judge the living and the dead. Our text told us that God the Father has appointed God the Son to be the judge of all history, to be the judge of all the world, to be the judge of every single person who has ever lived. Every single person who has ever lived will have to stand before Jesus and give an account for their life. Now, out of all of our inconsistent judgment, at least in this, Jesus is the only consistent judge. He's the only one who's never been inconsistent. But the Bible tells us that the reason that he gets to be the judge is because he defeated sin and death. He is the Lord over all, and the resurrection is proof that he is the king over everything. And as king, it is his right to judge all of history and every person. That's the who. The what. What will Jesus judge? There's one verse, and if I'm honest, I don't really like it. It's the verse that we read earlier where, where Jesus says, every word will be judged. And it's not just every word that will be judged. Every thought, every word, and every deed will be judged. We'll have to give an account for the way that we've lived our lives. Now, Nat's not here tonight, but Nat's an accountant, and some of you have worked with Nat on your finances. And if you sit down with Nat, he'll, he'll columnize your finances, and he'll say, why is this over in that column? Why is this over in this column? And as we think about our lives and we think about the way that things either align with God's will or don't align with God's will, there are so many things in our lives, whether they're thoughts or words or deeds, that aren't in the right column. So some people say, well, okay, let's dig into this because this is what's actually harmful about Christianity. Many people think that this way of thinking, that you're going to be judged and that everything that you do is going to be judged by Jesus is a harmful way to think. It produces guilt. It produces shame. It produces fear. But, but sit in that. Most of the world who are Christians don't think about judgment that way. Many of the majority world Christians actually long for the day of judgment. And the reason they long for the day of judgment is because it's their only hope. It's their only hope. They've been so oppressed because of their faith or because of their socioeconomic class that their only hope is that Jesus will return and make everyone give account for every thought, every word, and every deed especially deeds of injustice. And see, even though for us we struggle with the idea of judgment, the idea of judgment coincides with that, this idea that Jesus is going to come back and set everything right. 
He's going to make everything the way it should be. He's going to banish sin and death and evil forever. And that's why the rest of the world gets this better than we do here in the United States. We just don't like the idea that someone has a right over us to judge us. And yet if we look at the brokenness in our world, judgment is really our only hope that Jesus would come back and set things right. Not only that, but I think it's actually the only hope we have as a country. Uh, judgment is an incredible cure for self-righteousness. Judgment is an incredible cure for self-righteousness. We all tend to look at our lives and we tend to think when it comes to thoughts and words and deeds, I'm okay. But everyone else, they ain't cutting it. But when we talk about judgment, it actually brings us to a place of deep humility. It brings us to a place where we begin to look at our lives and realize that we need mercy. It, it makes us examine things and see the forgiveness that we long for. And see, people who know they need mercy become merciful to others, even when they don't deserve it. People who know they need forgiveness become forgiving people to others who hurt them. And so as we look at this topic, we realize that judgment is actually one of the things that will cure self-righteousness. Now, I, here's one of the things I do love about judgment, if I can say that. that, that there's no fine print. God doesn't hide anything. He doesn't, he doesn't hide anything from us, nor does he change the rules. Every five months, the rules of what is right and wrong in our country are changing. But God changes nothing. He says, here it is. Here's how judgment will happen. The only thing that God leaves out is when. When will judgment happen? And here's the truth. No one knows. I know a lot of television preachers have gotten famous for predicting when the apocalypse will happen or when Jesus will come back, but no one knows. No one knows when Christ will return, but, but there is a day on God's calendar when Christ will return, when Jesus will come from there, from there. From there means at the right hand of God, the place of power in heaven. Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. That means history is not going to go on forever. There is an end to history. Jesus will return. He will raise all people to life in either life eternal or of life of separation from God forever. And so as we talk about judgment, there's a real tension. There's a real tension when we talk about Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. Because on one hand, we want things set right. And on the other hand, we know that we're not right. We know that we're not right. That's why I love the last verse of the Bible. Did you catch sort of the tension from Revelation 22? If you can put that up. Revelation 22 says, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Jesus, set things right. Come, judge of the earth and judge all things. But then it says this very last part of the Bible, the whole Bible says, the grace 
of the Lord Jesus Christ be with everyone. Amen. Come, Jesus, come quickly and judge everything. Set things right. And yet the grace of Jesus be with you now and even on the day of judgment. Grace is this idea of not getting what you deserve, but getting what someone else deserves. It's the idea of unmerited favor, of undeserved love. What the Bible's getting at, even as it ends here in these last verses, is, is that Jesus will return as a judge because he came a first time to be judged. Jesus will return at the end of time to judge everything, but, but Jesus came his first time to be judged for the sin of the world, which includes your sin and my sin. Jesus will one day stand above us as the ruler of all things, the one who calls the shots, the one who says, this is right, this is wrong, this person goes this way, this person goes that way. He will stand above us as the judge of all things, but only because one day in the past he was raised up on a cross to be judged by God for your and my sins. So what that means for the Christian even as we look to something so scary as a final day of judgment, is confidence. Confidence. When I walked into Sam's Sushi, every, every time I walked in, I had no idea what would happen. Severity of the judgment that would be pronounced on me. But as a Christian, you, you know this, that when you enter into the final day of judgment, the verdict for you will be guilty. Your life will be looked at and you will have fallen short of the glory of God and deserve the judgment of Jesus. And yet your confidence comes not from your record, but from knowing that Jesus took the punishment for your failed record when he died on the cross. That, that in him, you are declared righteous. So the verdict, you know, going in is guilty. At the same time, you know, in the trial, you will be acquitted because all of your sin has been paid for by the judge of all who has been judged for you. And when we begin to understand that, we look forward to the day when Jesus come back and make all things right, knowing that we cannot stand on our two legs before him, but because of what he has done for us, we can have confidence because of his grace. Come, Jesus, come quickly. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. See, Jesus is the judge, and yet he was judged for me and for you. So now I can be honest about who I really am. I can be honest about the secrets that no one knows. Jesus was judged for me, so now I'm free to rest in his coming rather than be terrified by it because I know one day he will return and banish evil forever. I can rest and be free because I find my deepest hope knowing that he will return. Oh yes, Jesus is a terrifying judge 
but we can be confident, confident because he underwent a terrifying judgment for us. All the way the world of the sin of the world was put on him so that when you enter in the day of judgment, even though you are guilty, you are not condemned. You are free. You will spend eternity with Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth where no evil, no sin, no darkness will exist ever again. And friends, when you hold on to that, you begin to see that judgment isn't just something that we talk about being judgmental. It is actually the, the way that the world will be set right and brings us a deep hope. Not because we're sinless, but because we know the sinless one. The, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a short, a short way of um, teaching what the Christian faith says, one of the questions in that, it says, what comfort is it to you that Christ come again to judge the living and the dead? And the answer says that in all my sorrows and all my persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the judgment of God has removed all the curse of sin from me to come as a judge from heaven who shall cast all his enemies and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall carry me with all his chosen ones into heavenly joys and glory forever and ever. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I hope that as you understand what it means that Jesus will return and be the judge of all things, that it clarifies for you what we really mean when we talk about judgment. But more than that, I hope that you see a picture of who Jesus is and how much he loves you and what he was willing to undergo on your behalf. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.